ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. From the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal, this is Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Hello and welcome to Free Expression with me, Jerry Baker, from the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Delighted you're joining us. If you're not already a subscriber, please sign up to Free Expression wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we're looking at sports and gender. Should athletes born male be allowed to compete in women's sports? It seems a fairly simple question. Until a few years ago, most people would have given a pretty straightforward answer. No. Science tells us that humans born male have inbuilt physical advantages. that mean they run and swim faster, jump higher and farther lift heavier weights, and generally have physical capabilities that mean top performances by boys and men in sports are almost universally superior to those of girls and women. Crucially, those advantages are established by puberty. So when boys transition into girls then or later, they retain those advantages. The testosterone-suppressing drugs they take when they change gender don't come close to eliminating their athletic edge. But as transgender activism has taken off in the last few years, we've been forced to contend with the extraordinary spectacle of seeing biological-born males competing against, and of course beating, girls and women in sporting contests. This has left many women outraged at the injustice. The very principle of sex segregation in sports seems to be under threat. One of those women is Riley Gaines. At the 2022 NCAA Women's Swimming Tournament, Gaines a University of Kentucky All-American athlete, was beaten by the narrowest of margins for the championship title by Leah Thomas, a biological-born male competing for the University of Pennsylvania. Despite protests, the NCAA upheld Thomas's win, and since then, Gaines has become one of the most outspoken advocates for rule and legal changes that would protect the exclusivity of women's sports for biologically-born females. She's become a prominent spokeswoman for the Independent Women's Forum and has also become a leading protagonist in what are frequently called the culture wars as an instant hero for many conservatives and, of course, a villain for the left. And Riley Gaines joins me now. Riley, thanks very much for joining Free Expression. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Riley, you've become a very prominent figure, but perhaps not for the reasons you expected a year or so ago when you were competing in the NCAA tournament, National Swimming Championships. You've spoken a lot about that experience and the injustice of being denied the championship by a biologically born male. So I don't want to rehash that. But what I do want to know is what made you seize that disappointment that you felt at that, and many people would be crushed, kind of move on, but you've become a really outspoken advocate and campaigner. What made you do that? <laughs> this is interesting because truthfully, this was my last one meet ever. I was graduating. I was ready to go to dental school. I had just gotten married to my husband. Theoretically, I could have ridden off into the sunset and never thought about this again, which a year doing this, sometimes that sounds really nice. I'm like, why didn't I do that? But really, I saw what was at stake if someone didn't stick up to this, which is it's mind-blowing someone even has to. What I've been arguing this past year is simply the fact that allowing a biological male, someone who has gone through puberty, which is irreversible as a male, into our sports, into our spaces, it is simply wrong, it is unfair, and that's the basis of it. Nothing hateful, nothing opinionated. But what really thrusted me, three reasons, one being the past generation of female athletes. I'm so 
indebted to them knowing how relentless they were in their fight for Title IX. In their same lifetime, they fought for these benefits that they're seeing through women's sports, and now they're seeing that being taken away. Two, I'm fighting for the present female athletes, the girls who are in my same position who are totally silenced. They are scared into submission. They're threatened. They're intimidated. They're emotionally blackmailed, really, into silence. They don't have the confidence and the security and the support that I do in using my voice. And three is the future generation of female athletes. I have a younger sister who's the Tennessee state champion in gymnastics. And again, I just got married. I can only hope one day that I get to have a daughter of my own. And I can't imagine being in the position that I'm in, having the voice and the platform and the powerful testimony that I have and not using that to fight for them. So those are the things that really thrusted me into feeling like it was necessary for someone to take a stand in the truth and quite frankly, common sense. You really have become a national figure, obviously, in the last six months or so. And you create a lot of reaction from all kinds of public figures, favorable and hostile. What I'm interested in is what's been the reaction from your fellow athletes, especially your former fellow college athletes. Do you get the impression that many, many women or most women are really behind you on this? Absolutely, I do. I get messages constantly from female athletes and male athletes, but specifically female athletes and parents of female athletes of all ages, all sports, all divisions message me all the time and express their gratitude. I get messages from girls who remind me my experience is not unique because it's something they're going through as well. I I got a message the other day from someone as young as 12 years old being forced to share a locker room with a boy. And this is, of course, uncomfortable for them. And so speaking for female athletes, I'm certain that I speak for the overwhelming majority of us, but not just female athletes. This is the overwhelming majority of the population of, truthfully, the planet, not even just our nation. The overwhelming majority of people understand that men and women are different, regardless of what you see in the media and regardless of how the loud minority speaks about this. The overwhelming majority of people support the fight that I'm fighting for, and they understand that allowing men in women's sports is wrong and it's unfair and it puts women's sporting category at jeopardy. What's been the reaction from trans people? Again, you must know um, either from college or elsewhere, but certainly obviously since you've become a public figure, you'll have heard from a lot of them. Do you sympathize with the reaction that some of them have, that they see your outspokenness, they see this somehow as an attack on their fundamental human rights? What sort of a reaction do you get? This group, really the LGBT community as a whole, it's kind of split. I've talked to many people, especially within the LGB community, who are so frustrated by this T portion because they feel as if they're they're setting even them backwards. Um, I feel as if, and this is the message that's been communicated to me from this group, the LGB group, they feel as if they finally got into a place of acceptance. They were able to love who they wanted to love and marry who they wanted to marry for the most part. But now this team movement, it's making them all look bad because they're all grouped together. That being said, I've talked to many people within the trans community who understand this is wrong. One trans woman I've talked to at great lengths actually about all of this stuff. This is, of course, a biological male who understands being a trans woman is just that. Trans women are not women. Trans women are trans women. It's a subset of a biological male because no matter what, you can't change your sex. And that's what sports relies on. It relies on your sex. It relies on your biology, your physiology, your anatomy. It it doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't care about how you identify yourself. That doesn't change the advantages that men have versus women. So this community, it's of course 
split, but oftentimes you hear, again, the loud people within this community. Do do they see your campaign as an infringement of their human rights? And do they challenge you over that? Right. And you asked me if I sympathize with them. At first, I did sympathize. I never wanted to come across in a way, and I, I still stand by this, I never want to come across in a way that's disrespectful, and I always want to be compassionate. But at that same time, I felt like I had to apologize for feeling how I felt. I felt like I needed to start off with, I'm sorry for feeling this way, but when talking about the locker room, when talking about the unfair competition, but now I've realized I don't need to feel sorry for feeling uncomfortable and I don't need to feel sorry for not wanting to compromise equal opportunities. And so I will say my sympathy has kind of decreased because at first I looked at this group as an extremely ostracized, marginalized group. And while I do believe there is some discrimination there, trans individuals have every right to play. They have every right to do anything that any other human has a right to do. They're not missing out on any rights. There's no discrepancy there. And so I've kind of lost a sense of I don't want to say compassion because I am still compassionate, but I've lost a sense of sympathy because, and I've also realized a lot of these people in this community, they don't sympathize what we're feeling. They're not compassionate towards us giving up our safety, our privacy, our fairness, our dignity. Respect is something that goes both ways. And I don't feel as if it's going one way right now. Therefore, it's hard to sympathize. We're going to take a short break there, but when we come back, I'll have more with Riley Gaines on women and transgender athletes in sports. This podcast is brought to you by Northern Trust Wealth Management. There's more to being a successful entrepreneur than just good business practices. What is it about an entrepreneur's childhood that helped fuel their entrepreneurial spirit? What are entrepreneurs doing to cultivate this spirit in their own children and build a legacy beyond their business? Tune in each month to the Road to Why podcast by the Northern Trust Institute, where host Eric Shapea dives deeper with leading entrepreneurs on these topics and more. Find the Road to Why where you listen to your favorite podcasts. You're listening to Free Expression with Jerry Baker. Don't forget, you can listen to the latest episode anytime on your smart speaker. Just say, play the Opinion Free Expression podcast. Now, back to Jerry Baker. I'm back with Riley Gaines, champion college swimmer and outspoken advocate for women's sports on the rising controversy over transgender athletes. What's in your view is the right approach? What should be the rules? You know, because this is obviously a very live topic. Many states are passing laws about competition by trans athletes in women's sports. Just saying we can talk about this a little bit too, the recent Biden administration planned changes to interpretation of Title IX. You know, some people say that there are different stages of development, which maybe we should consider allowing trans people. Is it your view that anyone who was born male, wherever they transitioned, whenever they went through the regendering process, anyone born male should not be allowed to compete in any women's sport, high school, college, professionally? Would that be what you would favor? Yes, it is, to be totally frank. No male, regardless of age, sport, division you're playing at, should compete against a woman. Women should not have to compromise anything in regards to their sport. A lot of people make the argument that testosterone suppression has an effect. We know, we have the science, we have the data that tells us 
12 months of hormone suppression is not enough to mitigate male advantage. There's no amount of hormone suppression that could mitigate male advantage. Even if men could get to equivalent testosterone levels as women, there are still advantages that will never go away. Of course, you have lung size, heart size, you have height. It sounds silly, but even something as simple as men have a 40% on average larger throat than women. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but look at swimming, which was my sport. When you're grasping for air, having a 40% larger throat, that's huge. That's an advantage that will never be taken away with hormone suppression. So I believe if you were born with a Y chromosome of any capacity, you should not be allowed to compete against someone who has XX chromosomes. And one thing I'm always interested in is what that might mean in terms of the way in which women and men's sports should be viewed. We've obviously had segregation in men's sports for precisely the reasons you've just explained, the physical differences between men and women. And yet at the same time, we have seen in the last few years this push for equality between men's and women's sports, uh, in particular in terms of equality of remuneration, of professional rewards. And we're seeing this in widespread. I guess it's a slightly provocative question, but it, you know, if men do have the capacity to run faster and jump higher and a man against a woman in a tennis match at the top man against the top woman would universally beat the top woman as well as tennis match why should there be equality of pay and equality of reward for women when by everybody's acknowledgement or not ever by our acknowledgement they are physically not as capable as men saying men on average are taller faster stronger more powerful they can jump higher of course Again, the bell curve here on average, that is true, but that's not to say that women are inferior. That's not to say that women are not strong. We are not capable of amazing things. We just have different physical ceilings. Of course, just as if there's just as so there's men phenoms in whatever sport, look at Michael Phelps. We could go on about the phenoms in men's sports. There are just the same in women's sports. You have Venus and Serena Williams. You have that whole crowd. So we're different, of course, but we should be treated equally. Again, that's not to say we're inferior. It's not to say we're less. It's not to say we're not capable. We are unique and we deserve to be celebrated and honored and recognized as such. Yeah, I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here because it's hard to disagree Absolutely. with a lot of what you say. But let me give you a quote. So uh, obviously people who've pushed back against this idea that exactly what you propose, which is that trans people should not be allowed to compete, you know, competitive. I mean, of course, you've, you say, of course, they should be allowed to participate in sports, but they shouldn't be allowed to compete in competitively against women. Let me give you a quote from somebody from the ACLU explaining why, in their view, trans athletes have every right to compete. And they say something like this. Trans athletes vary in athletic ability just like cisgender athletes. One high jumper could be taller and have longer legs than another, but the other could have perfect form, explains Andrea Yearwood, a student track athlete. One sprinter could have parents who spend so much money on personal training for their child, which in turn could cause that child to run faster. You know, I'm trying kind of not to sort of laugh as I say this, but what's your response to that? That there are always going to be differences. Some people are going to have advantages and other people are going to have disadvantages. There's no real level playing feel before people come into a sport so why are we saying yeah it's okay if you've got it and by the way you know you're obviously a tremendous athlete you have some probably genetic advantages from your extremely successful athletic parents why should trans people be treated differently from people who have other advantages absolutely that is extremely true that there are always factors that go into success whether that be athletic opportunity resources your diet your sleep there's so much that goes into being successful that being said, the whole argument here is if you take a male, let's look at the world record level. Let's look at the world record 200 backstroke. Again, I'm a swimmer, so I know this well, but this is unanimous across the board, regardless of event, the distance of the event, or any event 
sport where the time is objective, like track and field, swimming, where there is a time. Let's look at the world record holder in the 200 backstroke for men versus the world record holder in the 200 backstroke for women. The male, on average, again, regardless of what the event is, is 10 to 12% faster than the woman. That's, of course, a very large margin when you're racing a two-minute race. 12%, that's a lot, especially when you're fighting, doing everything you can to shave merely a few one-hundredths of a second off of your time. So look at that for what it is. And then let's look at someone like Michael Phelps. This is someone who does have genetic advantage. He is someone who has uh, Marfan syndrome, which makes his limbs longer. He has more elasticity in his joints. And people often say, I, I hear this argument a lot. If you want to get rid of genetic advantage, then, then why don't we ban Michael Phelps? That is not what we are saying here. Right. The genetic advantage that Michael Phelps possesses over his competitors is in the decimals in, in terms of performance gap. Refer back to that 10 to 12% performance gap between men and women who have the same training, essentially, the same resources, they've competed at the same level. That's what the argument is. If you took Ryan Lochte, who is the 200 backstroke record holder, over and compete against the women, it would be abysmal. He would dominate. He would destroy. Playing sports, especially at the competitive elite collegiate level, it's about winning. It's not about feelings. It's about competition, winning. If, if it wasn't, players wouldn't get cut and coaches wouldn't get fired. But that is what it's about. And so to deny that, that that's what this whole argument is, is this is not lateral. You don't have a successful woman. And there's many examples of this, and I could list them off, but I know we probably don't have time. There are many examples of trans men who are biological women now competing against the men and of course, their trajectory, they go from being someone ranked higher to ranking lower. And it's the opposite for trans women, biological men competing against women at the whole argument. What about the argument that you know trans people face all kinds of disadvantages? They face bullying in school, and there is some evidence to support this, that they are treated as outcasts. And actually, by banning them completely from competitive sports, you're kind of contributing to that environment of bullying and discrimination against them. No one is banning them completely. That is a common misconception that the left loves to push, is that we are banning trans athletes. This is not banning anybody. Everyone is able to compete. It's just about ensuring people compete where it's fair and where it's safe. And again, sports is not about humanity. Yes, there are pieces of it like teamwork. You get to build relationships. Of course, many sports are fun. There are values of that, but that's not what sports is about. It doesn't care about your feelings. Sports never once asked me, okay, Riley, do you think you can jump in this really cold pool at 5 a.m.? It doesn't care about your feelings. It doesn't care about your identity. Again, it relies on your physiology. It relies on your sex. And to disregard that, to deny that, is denying science. It's denying truth, common sense, logic, reasoning, all of the things. Again, there is important pieces in sport that everyone benefits from. But to take those opportunities and those skills, those characteristics away from women in the guise of being inclusive... It's not inclusive. It's exclusive. It's exclusive to the very female athletes who the women's sporting category in Title IX 
was created to recognize and protect. Let's broaden this out. Just, I really want to get your view on the broader question of gender identity and the way this has become such a hot political issue and cultural issue in the last few years. And, and again, as someone of your generation, I come from a, a very different, a much older generation. But again, when I was growing up, well, throughout my life, I've known trans people and it's been the phenomenon. It you know, has been for almost as long as uh, humans have been humans. But it does seem in the last remarkably short period of time, in the last 10, 15 years or so, that this idea that there is gender fluidity and that you're not really born with a gender, you kind of, the gender is something that kind of emerges over time or you choose it or you, you know, whatever it is, you, that seems to be a very, very recent phenomenon. You see these polls now, which suggest that very large numbers of people of your age and younger actually think that they're uncertain about their gender, that they may change their gender, that we have this, again, this sort of widespread belief in gender fluidity, which has come out of almost out of nowhere in the last decade. So, you know, again, I asked just as a an interested observer from my generation to your generation, what's going on, do you think? I think there's a lot of different aspects that contribute to this. From my perspective, when I really saw things change, not necessarily for the good or for the bad, when I saw things change, though, was really over COVID. I feel like we came back, obviously a lot of people had more time to sit on social media. Different things were being pushed on social media. My understanding is this time period where we all had essentially nothing to do. I feel as if this contributed to a lot of the things going on. Of course, this is now translating. It's not just sports. We're seeing this whole gender ideology movement. We're seeing it in prisons. We're seeing it within the education system, be highlighted throughout healthcare systems. So this is happening at a much larger scale than just women's sports. Gender, it's an interesting construct because you have some people who relate gender and sex and say they are the same thing. You have some people who can acknowledge there are, in fact, two sexes, not in regards to male versus female. Of course, you have diagnosed sex disorders, but you have male versus female, and they can understand gender can be whatever. So it's interesting to kind of sit back and look at this and see, one, how this has played out throughout history, what other cultures kind of look to, how that works, and where that has taken them. So there's a lot of different pieces going on to it. But in regards to the changing of the language we're using, I know we mentioned these terms being fluid, such as feminism. Feminism now has a different meaning. We're changing words like mother is now deemed offensive and breastfeeding is now deemed offensive to some people. There's certain lists out there. They're changing dictionary definitions of the word woman. Truthfully, they're asking us to deny objective truth as when we're denying what man versus woman is, denying the sheer essence of humanity. So those two things on top of the silencing piece, the submission that universities in particular are putting on their female athletes, corporations are putting on their employees. Really, a lot of this is deeply rooted in Marxism, and it doesn't take a genius to really step back and, and see this. And so I'll be interested to see how this continues and where it takes us as a society as a whole. You hit on the politics there, which is so interesting, because the politics, particularly of feminism, I mean, again, if you think about the progress that the feminist movement, again, whatever you want to call it, or whether you identify it or prove it or whatever, but you think of the progress that has been made towards achieving greater equality of opportunity and pay and everything else for women over the last 50 years or so. And we now seem to be that the trans movement does seem to be, not not everybody, I should say, but, but some of the kind of the most outspoken members of that do seem to be be, it's almost like a direct assault on feminism. I mean, the, you know, in fact, you're seeing the, you know, this idea of a turf, a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, that the idea that women having achieved all these gains are kind of somehow not allowed now to stand up against people who 
fundamentally want people who were not previously thought of as women to somehow enjoy the rights and benefits of being a woman. It just seemed such a contradictory process. Do you agree? Absolutely. And I know we mentioned some of these gender and gender terms and gender identity being more fluid, but feminism and sex-based terms, those are not fluid in meaning. We don't just get to change history and change language that we use to fit a narrative someone is trying to push. That's not how definitions work. The feminist movement was created to embrace and empower women, again, based off of their own uniqueness. And now the party even that once embraced the original feminist movement, we've seen them throw that out of the window and flip. We're seeing now Republicans more so want to protect sex-based rights, sex-based protections, and Democrats kind of turn away from that. Even looking at someone like Billie Jean King or Megan Rapino or Brittany Griner, look, Billie Jean King, she was someone we really have to accredit Title IX to. She fought relentlessly for women to have equal access and equal opportunities in sports. And now Billie Jean King and those other athletes I mentioned, I saw a list of 36 others. Now these women are actively fighting for women to lose out on those opportunities. They're undermining their whole fight, their whole purpose of what they did previously. And I want to mention a lot of these women, such as Billie Jean King and Megan Rapinoe, they're done playing sports. They have nothing to lose. They don't have daughters to defend. So it's really for their own personal gain. They would rather be seen as someone who's kind and inclusive. But I can guarantee you, if Megan Rapinoe had to lose out on the women's U.S. national soccer team to a male, that is not something that would have sat well with her. And it shouldn't have. But yes, it's interesting how quickly the narrative has flipped and we are seeing the different political parties take an opposite approach that they once took. We talk about politics and what a hot button political issue this is. And you've become, again, very much engaged in that political debate. I know you've attracted some controversy for some of the things you've done there. Do you embrace the political dimension to this? Do you embrace this as a political cause? Or do you regret that this has to be, that you, in order to make the point that you're making, you have to identify with a political party and with a particular candidates? Is this something that you think of as something that you feel enthusiastic about getting involved in politics or, or in the broader sense? of the term? Or do you think it's just a, a necessary thing you have to do? I hate <laughs> that this is a political issue. Sports is something that should never, ever be political. But of course, it was inevitable that it was going to turn this way. That being said, I even created a, my own pack where I was willing to endorse any candidate, regardless of where you stood politically, whatever your party affiliation was. I was willing to raise money and cut a check to any representative or politician who was willing to say, I will protect women's sports. Of course, that only went one way. So it puts me in a hard position. I've very quickly been labeled as a right-wing grifter, all of the different names, all of the different things, but I've constantly reached out to CNN and MSNBC and left-leaning sites to which they respond to me when I tell them I would love to share my perspective in whatever capacity. Um, they respond to me, we don't want to give you a platform to spread your hate. They don't want even want to hear it. No. Um, they constantly report on the issues, but they're not considering the perspective of someone who actually faced this firsthand and saw the effect this had on female athletes. So my eyes have been opened. Again, this is in regards to both parties. It is not just one. My eyes have been opened to how the political sphere operates, how the media operates. Both sides are biased. That's very obvious to many people. I at least hope it is. So it's hard. You do get labeled all kinds of names. I get called even of course, you're transphobic, homophobic. I get called racist. And I, I'm just kind of like, what does this have to do with race? <laughs> 
But it's because if you align yourself with certain people, they will throw whatever label they can your way. Mainstream media outlets really will describe what you're saying as hate speech. Is that what you're encountering? Absolutely, it is. You become um, you know, a champion for a lot of people, as we've discussed, a bit of a villain for others. You know, you've just got married. You're presumably starting out on that exciting phase of your life. You know, you've got your professional qualifications, presumably, that you're working towards. What do you plan to do? I mean, both in, with this issue more broadly, what's next for you in your life? Really just continue doing exactly what I'm doing. Talk to anyone who will listen to me. Continue getting in front of state legislature and at the federal level, of course, fighting to protect women's sports. It would have been very easy for me to, I know we mentioned this, but not take this route. But I see what's at stake here. I know what will happen if someone doesn't take this route. It's only a matter of time before one male winning a national title becomes three and then five and then 10 and so on and so on. And so I'm willing to do everything that I can to ensure no woman, no young girl, no female of any age, any sport, any division has to give up consent in areas of undressing or has to step aside and allow a man to take her scholarship or her opportunities or her spot on the team. That's what I'm going to continue fighting for. Riley Gaines, thanks very much for joining the Wall Street Journal's Free Expression. Well, thank you. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Free Expression. I'll be back next week with another conversation with a leading figure on one of the crucial questions that's shaping the world. Until then, thank you and goodbye. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.